Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word. I'm so excited to be sharing on Genesis chapter 42 and 43. It's about to get juicy in the Word today. So grab your Bibles. We're jumping in. And just as we start today, um, I want to remind us of our May theme. And I think it's so cool that we're in the story of Joseph right now, because really Joseph's story hits on every single part of this idea of a disciplined heart. The fact that he remained abiding in the love of God, that that was not shaken despite his trials, that he was obedient to God's instruction and that he practiced um, and received healing, confession, and repentance, both for his own life, but also for the lives of his brothers and beyond. So I love what we've been doing every morning, jumping in, starting with our key verse for the month. And I want us to do something a little bit different today. I would love to actually all of us close our eyes and just pause in this moment that as I read this over you, that it wouldn't just be a piece of scripture, but that it would be a prayer for you today of the truth of what it means to abide in Christ and in the love of God. So feel free just to close your eyes. I know we're going to have a packed session this morning, the next 30 minutes, but let's close our eyes together and just read the scripture. I'll read it over you as we get started. 1 John chapter 4, 15 to 19. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love of the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is by this love perfected within us so that we have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is also are we in the world? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Amen? Amen. Well, let's jump in together. We're just going to share. I, I really felt to share just a little word tying into Genesis 42 and 43, but also as I was praying and preparing, I felt like that there's this word was for someone on the call. So I'm just going to go for it. And if it resonates with you, thank you, Holy Spirit. And if it doesn't, I'm trusting that someone will catch it in their spirit. So as I was preparing for today, I felt the Lord um, place a pretty specific word on my heart. I felt that there's someone who may feel disqualified disqualified from digging deeper into the word of God, perhaps inadequate in the knowledge of Christ or insecure in the shame of their past. And I'm here to say today that regardless if that resonates with you today, that God is inviting each of us to be seated at his banquet table. It is not dependent on how smart or qualified we think we are. The reality is when we are chosen and set apart by God, spoiler, we all are, <laughs> that changes things. We've been looking at the life of Joseph for the past couple of chapters, and when we see his life, we see that he is indeed called and set apart. God has chosen him 
for such a time. Joseph wasn't necessarily the most qualified or deserving based in his, his, his position as with his brothers or his life history, yet God still chose him. From the pit to the prison, Joseph recognized that despite the circumstances around, God was working all things for good. In the midst of estranged relationships with his family members, betrayal, disappointment, Joseph allowed God to define his destiny, to be the source of redemption for his family and for the nation of Egypt and beyond. So what does that mean for us? The reality is that God is calling us today. No matter our circumstances or trials, he is asking us to leave behind the comfort of the lies that we've long believed and choose his truth. The truth that Jesus, the beloved living son of God, is the one who writes our story. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. God is always working everything for good. He is a God of grace who gives his gift of grace freely to each of us. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 10 shows this. For it is by grace you have been faith saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared for us that we should walk in them. So as we join together today, wherever you may find yourself, I want to remind you that you are chosen and set apart from by God. Like Joseph, we will walk through circumstances and seasons of preparation, refinement, and sometimes even trials, yet even there, we are still chosen and called by God. Choose to believe his truth over the lies and see him work out the miracles, even in our mundane moments of life. So I would love to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in to unpack these key elements in Joseph's story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is alive and active. God, we thank you that your word goes out and does a work that only it can do. So, Father, we pray that the truth of your word would settle deep in our hearts today, God. We pray that the truth of your word would speak louder than the lies. And, Lord, I just pray for anyone on this call, anyone watching today who may feel disqualified. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we say no to that lie. And we thank you for the truth, Lord, that it is by your grace that you have chosen us and set us apart. So, Lord, we trust in you. We submit to you today. And we thank you, Lord, that no matter what we are walking through, Lord, you are working all things for good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you're logging off because you have to go somewhere, now's your chance. But if you don't leave now, we're going in. You ready? <laughs> okay, we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 42 and chapter 43. So make sure to grab your Bibles, take them out. And we're going to look a little bit more at Genesis 42. We will also be looking at Genesis 43. However, I really believe that uh, in chapter 42, sorry, there's some groundwork done. I mean, all throughout Joseph's story, there's like this it's like the ultimate climate and uh, climax in a movie, like you're building and you're building and you're building. And I really believe that in chapter 42, we see that Joseph's story could have been a lot different if he did not choose to be obedient to the spirit of God. So we want to dig into that this morning. And then we see the fruit of it, um, parts of it in chapter 43. So we're all going to read Genesis 42 together. I'm going to read the whole thing. Because I think there's something so powerful about reading scripture together. That's why we're here. The fact that even if 
even if you were just to log on the call and each of us take turns reading the scripture, that is powerful. That is so powerful. So I want to encourage you today. Let's jump in and read 42 together. I'm reading from the ESV Bible. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's sons went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus, the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and they bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They replied, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Verse 12, he said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with his father and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is, as I said to you, you are spies. I mean, talk about insistent. Am I right? Woo, we get it, Joseph. <laughs> by this, you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. Verse 18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. They're referring to Joseph there. That is why this distress has come upon us. Verse 22. And Reuben answered, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them for there was an interpreter between them. Then he took away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in the sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Verse 26. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. 
they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them saying the man, the Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more. The youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land said to us, by this, I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go away. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in the sack. And when their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons. If I do not bring him back to you, put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. And he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey you are to make, you would bring my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. There is chapter 42. So what we're going to do is just unpack some parts of this. So we see the fullness of the story of, of Joseph. We already saw in the past couple of days, Joseph being put in a, a position of authority. And now his brothers out of need are pushed to go to Egypt to receive food from the famine. So we see right off the top, I'm just going to kind of walk through the scripture again and add some little, um, little points of just insight. We see it right at the top that when Jacob said to the brothers, go to Egypt, he asked, why do you look at one another? And he probably noticed that there was a little bit of a strange expression among um, the brothers' faces when they mentioned Egypt. Now, we don't know this definitely, but perhaps the guilt and the terrible secret that they had been keeping since they sent Joseph to slavery had been weighing heavy on their conscience. And the, real the reality was that they needed to be free from the power of the secret, the guilt and the shame that they carried from this lie that they had told. Later, we see that Benjamin was kept with Jacob. And we also see Jacob's hesitancy to send him because he didn't want to, to lose his son of his favorite wife, Rachel. It was a fear that gripped him deeply and that he wasn't willing to compromise his son being with him. If Jacob only knew, if he only knew that he could trust the hand of God, if he only knew that the real reason that there was grain in Egypt for his family to go was because Joseph went ahead of them and prepared a way. God knew what he was doing. In verse six, we see that Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. This is literally the dreams of Joseph being fulfilled. They knew that their lives depended on this Egyptian official, and they were willing to humble themselves and bow down to submit to this official. Now, when Joseph, Joseph's brothers plotted against him and sold him into slavery, they did it with the intention to defeat the dreams of Joseph. But instead, sending Joseph to Egypt, they actually provided a way for his dreams to be fulfilled. Isn't that crazy? I, I read that in a commentary, and I was like, wow. Just when the enemy is trying to, to work for evil, 
God, what does he do? He turns it for good. And that's a promise for us today that maybe you feel like there's a dream that's dead. God is just working in his sovereign time. So let us have hope and faith. Amen. When Joseph and his brothers meet, we see in verse eight that Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they do not recognize him. And it says that Joseph spoke roughly to his brothers. Now, some people would say, well, he was just getting revenge or twisting the knife. But the reality is we see in Genesis 41, remember, it said that Joseph was filled with the spirit of God. He was a man filled with the spirit of God. And in that moment, Joseph knew and was obedient to what the spirit was leading him to do for the greater reconciliation and restoration of his family. I love how all throughout the Old Testament, we see little pictures of Jesus. And in this moment, it kind of points us to what Jesus is to us too. In this, Joseph is another picture of Jesus. See, Jesus sees us long before we see who he is. He recognizes us and he still loves us. Just as Joseph was able to recognize his brothers, Jesus recognizes us today. Now, when Joseph responded, it says that he remembered the dreams that he had about them. God recalled, he brought back to mind the dreams that he had had as an instrument of correction and restoration. And we're going to see this play out in this chapter. When the brothers say that, well, we're not spies, we're not spies. And they justify themselves. They're saying, we're 12 brothers, one is in Canaan and one is no more. I want you to, to notice that phrase, one is no more. That phrase is used a lot in this passage. And the reality was, this was a lie. This was a lie and the brothers knew it. They had every reason to believe that Joseph had, was not dead, but he had been sold to a lifetime of slavery. But perhaps they repeated this lie to themselves often so that they came to believe it. It became their truth. Their lie, that lie became the truth that they so ingrained in their hearts. Saying Joseph was dead didn't make him dead. Saying Jesus isn't alive doesn't make him dead. Isn't that crazy? Right. So even when we see in our, our own lives and perhaps our own relationships and saying Jesus, so many people, Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead. Doesn't make him dead. It does not make him dead. The truth is that Jesus is alive and among us and working today. Later on, after the third day, Joseph said to them, he said, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain as you send them back. After three days in Egyptian prison, the brothers were clearly ready to agree to whatever Joseph needed. They had humbled themselves and would listen to Joseph's demand. When Joseph says, I fear God, Joseph didn't want his brothers to fear him as much as they wanted his brothers to trust him. He recognized that the only way to restoration would be complete obedience to the spirit of God, even if it meant at times things were really hard. Later, as the brothers are released and they're heading back, they're making their way, we see that their guilty conscience begins to weigh heavy on them. That they think, well, perhaps this is all happening because of what we had done to Joseph. And the reality was that there could be no, we're sorry, Joseph, a quick little fix. That there is a deep, deep pain and healing that God was bringing forth. He was healing that pain. And God guided the event so that there, the sin could clearly be seen by the brothers and that there was complete um, confession and repentance and restoration. Even in the moments of restoration, Joseph did not allow himself to be bound by a spirit of bitterness or hatred. He still loved his brothers. He wasn't happy about their misery, but he knew that in some ways it was necessary. 
So he loads up the, he loads back the, the donkeys and he puts like above and beyond, he puts the grain and he puts the money back. And Joseph did this out of love. I think of Joseph's life and I'm like, he had every reason to be salty. He had every reason to say, uh, you just stay in prison for the rest of your lives. I'm not giving you nothing. But the reality is that Joseph loved his brothers and he saw that there was a greater picture at play. And I think the question we can ask ourselves from this story today is what does it even look like for us to love our enemies? In the New Testament, it, it speaks very directly of this. It says, I'm going to paraphrase. It basically says, it's easy to love those who love you, but to love our enemies, to love our enemies, that is a true picture of the love of Christ that he has for us. In some way, Jesus gives us undeserved blessings. Some are oblivious and upfront, and some are hidden later to be discovered. But he gives blessings to us even before we are reconciled to him, just as we saw what Joseph did to his brothers. Perhaps it was a test, not from Joseph, but from God. Maybe God wanted to look and see what would they do with the money. The deceptive heart would hide it. The superficial heart would think nothing of it. The proud heart would think they deserved it. We are tested by what Jesus gives to us, and Jesus tests our heart. What we do is important, but God goes deeper than the action itself and wants to develop not only our behavior, but our character. I know it's been coming up a lot lately. Our character, our character, our character. It's because it's true. (laughs) So going down to verse 30, the brothers made it home. And it says in that scripture, it says, and they told Jacob the truth. Already we see that there is a heart transformation starting in the lives of the brothers. Because last time they returned home um, from losing a brother, because they remember they left Simeon this time. When they left Joseph, they made a lie about it. But this time they came back and they told the truth that Simeon was indeed in captivity and that Benjamin was asked to come. When they're sharing with their father that they, they emptied the sacks and found all this money in it, they were afraid. They were afraid. We see that in verse 35. But what were they afraid of? Perhaps they were afraid of what of receiving of what they did not earn. For grace tests all of us. When we receive what we don't deserve or we don't earn, it's a little scary at times because we start questioning and doubting and and get stuck in our minds of what possibly could it be. Perhaps they were afraid of their own conscience, knowing that they had done wrong, yet still they were blessed. Imagine, they didn't even know that this was Joseph blessing them. Woo! Game changer. But perhaps they were afraid of Joseph, the great man that they could not figure out. I want us to go down to verse 36 together, where he says, Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. All this has come against me. This is huge. I know I mentioned it before, but this fact of no more, blank no more. This tortured Jacob, the reality that Joseph was no more and Simeon now is no more. Yet these statements were not true. Not only was Joseph alive, but Jacob would soon see him. And Joseph would rescue his family. The reality was that Jacob was actually choosing to believe a lie. He did not know. He he was given a really cunning lie, but he didn't know the truth of what actually was. Yet this is an example that shows the power of a believed lie. The power of a believed lie. When we believe lies, whether it is our fault or not, the lie has power over us. This is why we should learn and love and cherish God's word and truth. When he says, all these things are against me, and we're coming to the tail end here, 42, and we'll 
I'll quickly give you spark notes or 43. <laughs> but when he says all these things are against me, this summarized Jacob's outlook on life. He truly believed that everything was against him. He had no happiness in the present or the future and no hope for the future. What Jacob didn't realize is that the plan was not only for the good of Jacob and his family, but would impact all of history. The reality was, if Joseph's family wasn't the way it was and Joseph wasn't sold into slavery, we would not see Jesus come from the descendants of this family. The motto of too many Christians is all these things are against me, but instead our motto should be in Romans 8.28. I know you know it. We know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So I want to ask you today, have you taken on the motto, all things are against me? Have you believed the lie that in moments, whether it's moments or in seasons, that all things are against me? And if yes, what is the truth? So going into verse 43, again, I'm going to spark notes us, but we see that Joseph's brother returned to the land that literally their need, their physical need drove them to a, a place in a state that they didn't think they would go. Jacob was willing to send his son back, Benjamin, to go to Egypt and to receive more food. And I want to highlight something really quick before we close today. In verse 12 of chapter 43, Jacob gives a very specific instruction. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was in oversight. Now, what's really cool here is if you recall in verse 40, uh, sorry, chapter 42, 10 brothers went to Egypt, 10 brothers. So that means there was at least 10 units of money given. Now, Jacob said, take double the money. So this would signify that probably 20 units of money, how much? I don't know, but 20 units of it was taken to gain the Egyptian leader's favor, Joseph's favor. This answered exactly for the same 20 pieces of silver that Joseph sold was sold for. Isn't that crazy? I'm like, God, you don't just give under, you literally match. You match it every single time. And the reality was, is what the enemy tried to steal from Joseph, God was repaying above and beyond, not only with those 20 pieces of silver, which were actually really small in comparison to the restoration he was about to do in uh, Jacob's family. They get to Joseph and Joseph tells his servant, he says, prepare a feast, slaughter an animal and make ready a dinner for I want these men to dine with me. And Joseph, again, we see Jesus sprinkled all throughout the word. Jesus is a, Joseph is a picture of Jesus. He wants to eat with us, meaning that Jesus wants to be in close relationship with us. I love what Revelation 3.20 shares. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus does. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Oh, I love that Jesus loved to have dinner with people. I'm like, wow, there's something about sitting at a table. I don't know if you've had it or not. If not, we'll have to have dinner. Sitting at a table with good friends and good company and just that closeness of just eating together. Jesus understood that and Joseph did too. Later, Joseph washes their, well, not Joseph, but their feet get washed, their donkeys get fed, and there's an unexpected kindness resting upon them. At the end of this chapter, we see that Joseph sits by himself. Joseph sits by himself, his brothers sit by themselves, and the Egyptians, because the reality was that in Egypt, it was one of the most racially segregated places on earth at the time. 
They believe that the Egyptians came from the gods and that other people came from lesser origins. There was little social mixing with foreigners in that day. So all of them sat by themselves. And I hate to break it to you, but chapter 43 leaves us on a cliffhanger. They're all sitting down for dinner. Everyone's getting served food. And Joseph ensures that Benjamin, the youngest brother, serving was five times as much as theirs. And this was yet another test. I think Joseph was likely wondering how his brothers would have reacted if favor was demonstrated to the youngest, just as he, right, as he was received favor as the youngest and his brothers, they did not receive that well. Perhaps it was a test to see what were their hearts like. Jesus, uh, Joseph, sorry, wanted to see the change in their hearts. And they wanted, he recognized that there was change happening, but there was little tests all throughout the way to see that God used to see the heart of their brothers. This is a reminder for us as we close today that we should expect if we fail a test in one area of life, God will have to make arrangements for the test to come again. I'm like, that's actually his grace. Anyone say amen? Can anyone relate to that? Where you're like, huh, this is so interesting. I feel like I just walked through this season and I'm walking through it again. And it's not his harshness. It's not that he's like this rule dictator trying to, to punish us, but it's actually his loving kindness and his grace. that He always gives us another chance. So as we close today, would it be a reminder to you that his grace is so abundantly sufficient to us. And as we continue looking, into the next couple chapters tomorrow dig in you'll see what happens you will see what happens they're all at the table and now we're gonna see what happens cliffhanger <laughs> but i would just want to ask you these two questions first question in what ways do you believe that god is desiring to bring restoration in your life question number two what is one step of obedience holy spirit is asking you to take what is one step of obedience holy spirit is asking you to take you see, in Joseph's life, he saw the big picture. He knew the brokenness in his family. He knew the brokenness in the hearts of his brothers, but perhaps even in his own heart. Yet even throughout all of it, he submitted to Holy Spirit. Even when it wasn't fun or what he probably wanted to do in his own choosing, he chose to submit to the Spirit of God. So I'd love to pray for us today. And uh, God, we thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is working in our lives. And Father, I pray for every single person. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just reveal to us one step we can take, one step of obedience, of submission that we can take today. Whether it feels big or small, God, we just submit to you. And Lord, we thank you that you are indeed working all things for good. So we trust you. We pray that you would come and renew our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our spirits, Lord. And we thank you for the restoration that you are working out in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the Heartstrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become heartstrong disciples together.